This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com here in the Alumni Lounge, the Braves Alumni Lounge at SunTrust Park, alongside my partner, uh, World Series champ. All right, let me see. I always try to make sure I get all these. Runner-up Rookie of the Year, World Series champ. That's pretty. That's a pretty good list right there. I'll just go with that. And current director of Braves uh, Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. How are you, buddy? Great. Good to see you, Ricky. You too. You too. Uh, it's getting a little chilly outside. We both had to wear jackets down Man. here today. I know. Yeah, we need to send this weather out to California. The the fires out there, if they take some of this rain, what, it rained three inches yesterday? Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. I, I'll take some of that dryness and maybe they can have some of this rain. It would be a good trade. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they would take it. Definitely would be. Well, this week's guest on Behind the Braves is pretty pretty interesting. I have, This has been one I've, I've been anxious for folks to hear. Uh, Rico Cardi, former Braves outfielder, um, part of some of those those classic Braves teams from the 60s and 70s. And I'll just start from, from my perspective. He was a guy who I had heard his name, grew up. I've always been a Braves fan and a baseball fan, so he's just a name I had heard. But I honestly – couldn't have told you much of anything about him other than he was a guy who played for the Braves back in the day. And that's really all I could have told you. So once once we found out that we were going to have him on Behind the Braves, I started doing some research and, and looking up his numbers and trying to read everything I could about his career. And I thought, my goodness, for A, this guy could freaking hit back in the day. I mean, he was, he was a stud in his day when he was healthy. He battled a lot of injuries mm-hmm. and tuberculosis, as you'll hear him talk about today. Um, but he was he was a heck of a heck of a, a ball player. Um, and then the other thing that I kept coming across was he was a, clearly in his career was was an outspoken fella too, and was not not afraid to tell folks how he felt. Uh, you'll probably hear that today too. That he's <laughs> he's whatever's on his mind. That's what's he's going to tell you. Um, but just a, a fascinating fascinating guy. I mean, here's a guy who who came to the United States, didn't speak English, came here. In, in the days of segregation, which he talks about that a little bit, which is is it's tragic and it's fascinating and it's important to hear his, uh, guys like him talk about those days. Um, talking about hitting between Hank Aaron and Orlando Cepeda and uh, his charitable work with his foundation, the Rico Cardi Foundation in the Dominican Republic, um, and the tragic death of his his oldest son, Rico Jr. He talks about that. We weren't going to ask him about that, but he he brought it up, and it's it was it was. Um, I found myself sitting here just just listening. Not even you know when you're interviewing somebody, you're kind of supposed to be thinking about okay, where am I going to take this next? What am I going <laughs> to ask next? With him, I was just sitting here just listening. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to hear what he had to say. And fortunately, we didn't have to ask him much. You pretty <laughs> much just say a couple words, and he just went yeah. with it. So. 
Greg, talk about uh, – he's somebody who hasn't been around here really at all in Atlanta the last couple decades. How did this relationship between you and him come about? And uh, you you brought him here to Atlanta. He led the chop. I mean, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, it was great getting to know Rico a little bit. We spent probably – two or three days together just doing – I had all of his family out to the game. He came in for uh, Alumni Sunday. He actually didn't do the stuff out in the plaza with us, but he was here. Like like you said, he led the chop, and uh, we get we, we were able to get him on the podcast, which you're going to hear in a little bit. And it was great for me to connect with um, uh, such a, um, a great ball player from our history. I have a – a picture in my office that um, somebody put together for me. It has the 1966 team. So that was the year I was born. That was the team that came to Atlanta. And so I was familiar with Felipe Lou. He was managing when I was playing. Uh, I was uh, familiar with Sandy Alomar. He was a coach in winter ball. I played with his son, Sandy Alomar Jr., when I was with the Indians. And I saw, obviously, Phil Necros on that list. And Rico Cardi's on that list, Hank Aaron, Joe Torrey. So there's a ton of great players that came here in the 60s that were playing for us. But Rico is one that, you know, he lives in the Dominican. So, uh, you know, sometimes you don't think you can just pick up the phone and get a hold of somebody. And so I always ask some of our alumni from the Dominican. I talked to Rafael Fercal and I talked to um, – uh, Francisco Cabrera, because Francisco comes back for alumni week, weekend every year. Hey, have you seen Rico? I'd love to connect with him. Do you have any contact with him? Do you know where he lives? And you know, those guys didn't. So for me, I think there was a there was an article that was written from uh, a reporter here in the States that actually went to the Dominican and did a really nice article on Rico, talking about his foundation, talking about his career, talking about where he is today. So I was able to connect with the – with the reporter through our foundation and uh, end up calling Rico and talking with him. And, and uh, next thing you know, unfortunately he actually came to town because his son had passed away. And that's when we had a chance to, to connect during those circumstances, which weren't the best, but it still allowed me some time to spend with him. And hopefully we'll continue that relationship again. Like you, I was fascinated by just hearing the stories getting to see and um, talk with a man who walked uh, through some really difficult times, health issues, a difficult time in American history where we had a lot of civil rights issues going on, and and getting his perspective on it. I I really enjoyed that. Rico, he can tell some stories. Like you, I found myself being wrapped up in his stories and not thinking about what I really wanted to ask him. But, <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was a good time and, and hopefully we'll continue to have a Rico. I know that I did book him for fantasy camp oh, awesome. that's coming up in Orlando here in January. And he's going to be one of our special guests along with Andrew Jones and uh, Leo Mazzoni. And then we have 12 other alumni that they are going to be coaching. So I did, uh, was able to um, book him for that. And he was excited to come be a part of that as well. Yeah, and it's it's. I'm just excited that he's kind of back in the. We're getting him back mm-hmm. in the fold here in Atlanta, and you could tell from from talking with him. I think he wants to be, wants to be involved with Definitely. it. Definitely, and, and he's. Um, again, it's for us. It's people like me and people like you. Maybe didn't know much about him. The fact that he's here, what came here, and that we're getting to hear his story here. We, we're learn. We're we're learning who he is, and it's. And I think that um, I think a lot of other Braves fans in, in Braves country 
we'll uh, we'll enjoy hearing from him and getting mm-hmm. to know him today, and and uh, we'll hopefully look forward to seeing him, you know, come around a yeah, little bit more. Well, my hope is that our audience continues to grow because I would imagine now my dad. I'll take a shout out to my dad. Just turned eighty in October, um, and he listens to us. Okay. I'm not sure how many other 80-year-olds listen to the podcast. I hope that that continues to grow. But that group, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, they're the ones that remember watching Rico. And I wish we had the footage available. And that's one thing, you know, I've continued to talk to our ownership about, not ownership, but our, our executive team about how do we get some of our old footage from Turner and get it for these guys. See, there's a lot of alumni that have never seen themselves play on TV. And I know we have that footage at some, uh, somewhere and I would love to be able to just watch, I, I, you know, we're sitting here in the alumni lounge and we've got two huge big screen TVs. It'd be really cool to have some of that playing and, and to ask someone like Rico. Now what was going through your mind right here? And I see you facing Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, you know, what What were you thinking about doing? You know, and, and that, to me, would just be unbelievable. I agree. It would be. And your, your dad's 80. Rico's uh, 79. 79, that's right. And, by the way, is looks healthy. as well. He easily <laughs> – I think he talks about it in here. Yeah. He, 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 he could pass for a lot As he points than. to his forearm and says, <laughs> I've never lifted a weight, can't you tell? That's, he, that's, <laughs> he absolutely did that. He definitely did. Uh, and as you're also going to hear, I, I'm – his voice, his speaking voice is – it was funny. Before he came in here, you told me, like, he's got a really unique voice. And I was <laughs> like, okay. Like, I didn't really know what that meant. And then when he came in, and I'm not going to try to impersonate him, uh, but I was I was kind of blown away. I was like, this guy, he, if he doesn't already have a voice in a, 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 like a job as, as a voiceover guy yeah, somewhere, he probably should, voice. he's, got, he's got some pipes on him, man. So – well, we, we really, really enjoy getting to know Rico Cardi, and I think you guys will too. And without further ado, here he is. Well, Rico, um, welcome to the uh, Alumni Lounge here at SunTrust Park and Behind the Braves. That's the name of our podcast. And we appreciate you being here today. You know, yesterday we got to spend a little time together with your family. We had Los Bravos and Alumni Sunday. So we got you out there, uh, introduced you to the fans again. Uh, you have a lot of fans here in Atlanta, and you're able to do the chop. So uh, how, how was that for you? That was great. <laughs> it's great coming back to Atlanta. I think I haven't been here since 25 years. Wow. Yeah. I always looking forward at the Braves, you know, because – was going to bring me back through those years that I wasn't here because it's surprising. I was one of the most popular ball player with the fans, not with the ball players. <laughs> <laughs> I had problem with seven ball players. Seven? You yeah, seven of them. Because, right. you know, I, I'm the type of uh, fellow, I couldn't take too many pushes. But when the time goes by, you start learning is the truth from the American people. Mm. It's one thing I learned from you all. You step on somebody and you say, forgive, I'm, I'm sorry. I used to say to myself, why? I didn't want to step on him. He said, he's sorry. And throughout the times, I start learning that. 
I said, these is humble people. Mm. It's not the way. We, the Latin, Latin players, you know, we come to a different country. It's really tough because in our country, we are left together. And if you're a, a ball player, you can do so many things. And people will always put you way up. We come from different families, very poor families. And the majority of the ball players in the Dominican Republic really come from really down. Okay? Mm. And when they get a few dollars, they think they got God in their hands. Uh, with my father and my mother, my mother was a midwife. My father was a boss under the tracks of the sugarcane company. And I tell you one, I never passed hunger one day. Hmm. And that is the truth. I learned from them to don't crave at the dollars, at the money. When they signed me, the Milwaukee Braves signed me. It was John Mullen and Ted McGraw. St. Louis gave me a blank contract in 1959 that I could put any amount of money that I want in that contract. The owner of the teams in the Dominican Republic and Toon said, no, wait a minute. He belongs to, to the strangers in San Pedro and we want him to sign with the Milwaukee Braves because John Mullen and him was very good friend. The scout that gave me the contract in blind said he can play for the strangers in San, in San Pedro and plays for St. Louis Cardinal. He told them no. Hmm. And I didn't know anything about money because I wasn't craving at the money. I wanted to play baseball. Okay? I accept $2,000 at that time. That's what they give me. Let me work your bridge. And I give it to my mother. But I'm just showing you all what we go through when we come from the United States, from the Dominican Republic, Latin players, to the United States. The color bearer. I could have never understand that. Mm. We don't live like that in our country. Wherever you go is the truth. It's prejudiceness everywhere, little or big. But in our country is the money, your status, the way your family is positioned. You can be black as your shoes, and if your father and your mother, your family is in good status, you can do anything you want in the in the Latin countries. And when we come here to the United States, that we can sit down in a restaurant to eat, get on a bus and you got to go in the back part of the bus. You go to a restaurant, a restroom and you cannot. It's white, black. I said, well, what is this? Were you going to take your bowels? You know what you said in English? And you cannot go into where you want to go and, and do your, you know, <laughs> Go to the restroom. Yeah, yeah. restroom, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it, it was crazy, really. Well, we just had 20, 25 years from uh, the anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. 50. I'm sorry, 50, yeah. mm -hmm. 50 years. And uh, we were interviewing some of the players that were here during that time. 
Yeah, Joe Torrey came back, w- mm-hmm. was here, and uh, obviously Hank. I played and, and with Joe other. Torrey, Hank yeah. Aaron, right. uh, Clete Boyer, uh, Baba Stramonte, uh, Mac Jones, uh, Tony Cunninger, Ron Reed, uh, Pat Jarvis. Now, that was about there. Pat Jarvis and Tony Cunninger. When this pitching, you got pitchers up there. Phil Negro. Phil Nico was the type of pitcher. He was a knuckleball pitcher. He was very good. When he is his day, you're not going to hit him that easy. And that one time, I say that the Braves in those days, with Hank Aaron, Felipe, and Felipe Rico Cardi, and Orlando Cepeda, then goes down Cleet Boys, it was the best hitting ball club in, in baseball. Yeah, you guys had some great. I'll tell you one thing, and this is the truth. We was playing against the Giants here one night, and it was raining, and the Giants was beating us 12 to 1 in the bottom of the eighth inning, and it's rained. We get back in the field, it's raining again. We end up beating the Giants 14 to 13. Wow. <laughs> That's how good that, our ball club was. That's but a good game. Our defense was weak. We had Sonny Jackson in the shortstop. And he obviously, Rick, what'd you say? He didn't feel a ball. But Paul Richard liked him. He bought him from Houston, too. And that's happened a lot. And Paul Richards was one of the smartest general manager in baseball. And that is the truth. Like, I'll say, look, to me, because I hit behind a Hank Aaron. To me, to me, Rico Cardi, that's the best hitter I've ever seen in baseball. In 1966, and the ending of May, Hank Aaron was hitting 138 or 158. The ending of May, I look at Hank and said, Hank, what are you doing? He says, man, what you, what you telling me? I say, are you going for his home runs? You know, and they're not going to give you any good pitches. So why don't you try to spread the ball around and then goes for your home run? We came in the clubhouse that night and we sitting together because we were all good friends. And he said to me, he said, Rico, you look at me from tomorrow on. I'm going to split the ball around. And he just started doing that. Bam! Bam! To all opposite field, all fields. When he was hitting about 290, 300, he said, Rico, now I'm going for the long ball. I'm going for the money drive. And that year he ended up hitting 44 home runs. Hitting three, about 320, 310, something like that. Mm-hmm. And driving 121 runs. Ain't no hitters can do that. That's crazy. You know? Hey, well, let's uh, let's tell our fans, uh, just remind our fans just what kind of ball player you were. I want to read you some things, uh, some of your awards, records that you've done over the years, and then um, and maybe comment on with us, just comment what, what's the most impressive to you and what you take the most pride in. So I uh, just want to share this with everybody, just as a reminder, what kind of player Rico was. But uh, he was an all-star, your runner-up rookie of the year. Uh, 1964, you finished second to Roberto Clemente for the batting title. There were eight seasons where you batted over 300. 
you're tied for first with Ralph Gar for the all-time batting average of 317 with Atlanta and Milwaukee combined. And then you're sixth overall with our franchise, including Boston. There were there were a bunch of guys mm-hmm. back turn of the century mm-hmm. that were uh, that that hit, but you were sixth overall. That's including Boston. Then you set a record for 31 consecutive games with a hit until 2011, where Dan Ugla ended up with 33, I think. I believe yeah. it was 33. Uh, 33. And then today you still have the record for the highest batting average for a season. That's 366. So those are pretty impressive uh, records that you have. But out of all those, what means the most that it means the most to you with those records? Well, I'll tell you, 366 was great. And what I did that year, that Hank Aaron, Eddie Matthew, and all of them get mad with me because Orlando Cepeda was the fifth hitter. But at the time, I wasn't thinking that I was doing harm to nobody. I was doing a favor. And I told the skip, I said, look, put... Orlando Foot put me fifth, six, seven. I'm going to hit wherever you put me. I, I said, okay, put me fifth. So they, they keep telling Rico, hey, you never do anything like that in the big leagues. Hank Aaron, Carlin told me the same thing. Eddie Matthew, all of them. Rico, hey, you never done anything like that in the big leagues. I said, well, I'm going to do it because if you put me eight, I'm going to hit. Wherever you put me, I'm going to hit. That's the confidence that I had in myself as a hitter. Hank Aaron got mad, and he was right. After after, I understand, you know, but by, by the time was going by, I say, hey, I didn't do it because I wanted to harm Hank Aaron. I did it to help Orlando Cepeda. And after that, Orlando started hitting. And then he was happy because then you got Orlando Ford and me fifth. You got a picture of Hank Aaron. But the, the funny thing in that year, when we got to San Diego, Orlando was already hitting almost 300. He had almost 20-something home runs. Okay? He had about 80 runs by the day, and I said to Orlando, Orlando, okay. You're on your way now. Give me my fourth spot back. You know, he told me. <laughs> <laughs> he told me no. Yeah. I said, what do you mean no? You can't be that ungrateful. <laughs> I have helped you, okay? And that's my spot. I went to the manager, Roman Harris. He knew what Roman told me. I told you. So don't you come in here talking that stuff to me. I said, wait a minute. I'm the fourth hitter. Not Orlando. And if you don't put me forward here, I'm going to get out of the lineup. He said, well, if you do that, you'll never be in the lineup anymore because I'm the manager. I said, okay, Orlando, we're in San Diego. Okay. From San Diego, we went to three different cities. And every city we got to, I tell him, Orlando, tell him, man, you put me forward. He says, no. He said, when we get to Houston, I will give you your fourth spot. We got to Houston. I'm sitting down. I'm dressed. I look up. Fourth and fifth, the manager didn't put no name up there. I said, okay. I went up. I put my name fourth and put a lot of fifth. <laughs> 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 Lou came good. out and said, who did that? <laughs> I said, 
Mr. Luman, with all respect, I did it because I'm the fourth hitter. He said, no, I'm the manager. And I, we all told you that you should never do that. And Orlando don't want to give you back the fourth spot. You got to wait now until we get to Atlanta. I said, Orlando, you know why I don't fish you right now <laughs> before these people? Because you are my best friend, hmm. or one of my best friends. But you, hey, I don't like you anymore. He said, what do you mean? And he hugged me, you know, and so forth, and said, hey, be quiet, man. You're still hitting over 400. So what are you fighting about? I said, because I help you, and now you should be nice of not say, Rico, here's your fourth spot. Hmm. So everybody was laughing at me, and Hank told me, he said, you see what I told you? There it is. So we get to Atlanta. Okay, we came into Atlanta. I think that Mr. Luman is going to put me forth again. He didn't. He leave fourth and fifth out. He was just spiting me to show me you mm. cannot be that nice a guy. Mm. It was about wrong about 7.20. I said to myself, if he don't put me forth, but I'm not going to play. Exactly about it was five minutes before the game, I came off the field and come on in. Exactly the time, it was two minutes before the game started, there I was the fourth, in the mm. fourth spot. He told me, he tapped me on my shoulder, he said, I make a bet you'll never do that again. I said, uh-uh, I'll never do that to nobody <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And that was one of those years that I think I had one bad month, I can't remember. It was June or July. I hit about 250. But it's there in the record. I, 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 but you know something? The left-hand pitcher is the one that gave me trouble. Mm. And I didn't know because I was hitting so high all the time. I never think that the left-hand pitchers give me any trouble. So one day we was in, in L.A. And every time the eight and ninth inning is coming up, Walter Aston would always bring a left-hand pitcher to pitch to me. I pop it up or hit into a double play. Mm. So that day they was beating us three to two. And you know, I always a good hitter with men's and base. And that's why they, they about my third year, Presta Aston and Wasta Aston and all those managers say, pitch to Hank, don't pick to Rico. Because in two strikes, I was dangerous. Mm. Nobody get me out in two strikes. But the left-hand pitchers, I was always take the, the third strike. And I didn't know why. Until one day, Walter said, what are you talking about? You don't hit left-handed. What are you talking about, don't hit left-handed? And Paul Richard called me upstairs. Come on up, I want to talk to you. I said, now what have I done? He said, come on, sit down. He says, Look at your status. You sit in 120 against left-handers, and you have more 500 against right-handers. I said to him, I don't know why. Hmm. He said, why don't you go to have a bat? I say, I hit with a 36, 38. Goodness gracious. Mm. But That's a telephone pole. Yeah, but <laughs> here's Richie Allen. He hit with a bat with his bat. His weird bat is 45, 50 young's bat. 
44, 45, 50 ounce bat. I don't know how the hell he could swing with that bat. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't, yeah. So one day we was here playing against Phillies, okay? And we was real good friends. And here he is, you know, hitting bat in practice. I pick up his log. I said, oh, man, this feels good. He said, you want it? I said, yeah. I'm going to hit with it today. Young, strong, you know. First time up, I got into the home plate, and when I tried to pull that trigger, I couldn't. <laughs> I said, what in the world is this? Out here, I pick it up, you know. I swung it, good. But when that pitch came to me, I couldn't pull the trigger. This too I hard. froze. I said, <laughs> so I told the ump, I said, ump, I can't hit with this bat. He said, you're going to have to hit with it. Oh, he wouldn't give you time out? No, he wouldn't. I took all three pictures right down the middle of the plate. <laughs> I couldn't swing that bad. I so, so when the, I went in the dog and I said to Orlando, I said, Orlando, how in the world you all can swing that bad? I, I said, hey, my bat is 36, 38, and I couldn't pull the trigger with that one. He says, man, I, I, I swing it. And... Uh, Richie Allen swing it, and Richie Allen swing it so easy. Wristy, wristed, you know, he's, he's, uh, he just have that quick wrist with yeah, that bat. That's crazy. You mentioned earlier that the, you know, you had a strong connection with the fans, um, the Cardi's Corner, mm -hmm. the fan club in the outfield, left field. Left field. Um, in 1970, you were voted into the All-Star Game as a right-in yeah. candidate, a starting uh -huh. starting outfielder as a right-in candidate, really, which yeah. is which is incredible. I mean, did you, from the time you moved to Atlanta, did you always have that strong connection with the fan base here, or did it take time? When I came from Milwaukee to Atlanta in 1964, because they always called me Smiley, I always had a smile on my face. The American people like that. They don't like a hot dog. And I would strike out, and I would smile. I made an error, and I would smile. They give me the name Smiley. Then I give myself the name Big Boy. Okay. Okay? And they would come out in the stand from left to right, Rico for president. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was something that unbelievable in Milwaukee. Rico for president. Every the whole week that we plays there, Rico for president. And the press will come up to me and say, Rico, hey, how do you like that? I say, I love it, but I cannot be president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Dominican. Right. I cannot be. So the, it'll come out in the paper. Rico says he cannot be president of the United States. <laughs> then he come out. Rico for governor. <laughs> <laughs> so if good. it was today, they would explore that so much. But I think it's it's somewhere in there where you put up all those records. Yeah, it should be there. Mm. Then I came, we came to Atlanta in 1966, and somehow my Stamina with the fans came out, and they stood out and left here, Rico, Rico, <laughs> you know, and then they called me Smiley. <laughs> but the funny thing is that 
when I was growing up, I didn't have nobody to give me a baseball. So when I get those baseballs in left field, I used to throw up to the stand. Some of the ball players used to say, what he does, that's what he wants the fans him, to love him. And that, that wasn't true. I was doing because for my heart. But you know something? The commissioner of baseball, they wrote the commissioner. And the commissioner was fined me $5 for each ball I chose in the stand. Wow. And you know what I was gaining? $8,000 a year. And in 1964, I hit 3.30. 1965, I hit 310. I dislocated my lower part of my back. I was out most of the time. 1966, I hit 326. Maria Lou Felipe, Lou Enrico Cardi, trio. Dominican players, one behind the other. In 1967, I dislocated my shoulder, run hand. I don't know when things are going to happen, that is going to happen. Who sent me to steal base? I wasn't no great runner, but he didn't, the pitcher, didn't goes into his, and I took off. He didn't even look at me. Run Hunt got the ball upstairs and his knee mm. into my shoulder. He dislocated my shoulder. And I couldn't drive the ball towards the opposite field. I played throughout that year, and uh, I know I, I should have got out of of the lineup, but that was me. I keep pushing, pushing. I end up that year, I think, hitting 235 or 250, something like 255. Then I came down with tuberculosis in 1968. That was my hard blow. In the youth of my career, I came down with tuberculosis. But I said, some, I said one thing to myself, I say, everybody says, why me? I didn't say that. I said to the Almighty God, I say, Lord, have mercy upon me and give me back my complete health. I don't want to blame nobody for my illness. Because like I said, you born and in that white piece of paper is what you're going to do in life. Whatever you're going to do, it's right there written. The day that you're going to die, ain't nobody going to save you because it's already written down. And when I came back in 1969, I dislocated my shoulder seven times. I was always in pain. And I, I ended up hitting that year 342. And we clinched the Eastern Division ship by meeting a player. I had to because I wasn't going to throw out nobody. It was at shoot, shoot top. Tommy hands with the base loaded. If that ball dropped in, we would lose the game. But I made up my mind I had to cut that ball. It was two outs playing against Cincinnati. If that ball dropped in, they was going to tie up with us. So when, when he hit that ball, I made up my mind I had to cut that ball. And I cut it on my foot, on my shoe stop. We won. And I came in, Bill Lucas said to me, Rico, <laughs> he was part of the staff, he said, Rico, why you did that? And I said, Bill, if that ball drop in, we're going to lose that ball game. 
who was I going to throw? Because I couldn't throw. Hmm. So I had to meet the play. He says, man, you something else, <laughs> you know? And this is, then I came back in 1970, and that was my great year. When I hit 366, 25 home runs, 101 run batted in. But you see, I was hitting behind a man like Hank Aaron. He don't live in the Manzambes. And what he leave, that's what I pick up. <laughs> See what I mean? Right. And I'll tell you one thing, and this is the truth. Hank Aaron, I never seen Ted William played. I never seen um, Stan Muscher, maybe at the end of his career. But I heard about Stan, uh, Ted William, how great he was. A tie cub. You name them. But to me, to me, yeah, Hank Aaron would do whatever he wanted to do on the field mm. as a hitter. And he was the type of person, you don't, he'd never talk. He'd go out, play his game, and go on home. The year of 1963 that I came up to the big leagues, uh, Warren Spahn, Lou Burdett, Del Crandall, uh, Frank Torrey, this was the superstar, Johnny Logan, and so forth. They used to come out and the fans were all over them. I say, hey, that's great. Two years later, this is the word that Lou says. He said, gee, it turned around. Nobody's asking me for my autograph. <laughs> and I said to myself, so I'm going to take a while and give these fans my autograph, and I used to do it every day we play here. I used to take out two hours and three hours. Sometime my family would come out and say, let's go, I say, hey, you go home, I'll stay here and sign. <laughs> and that's why I think the fans adore me, because sure. I was the honest ball player to take out times and give them the autograph, or throw a baseball to the stand. I think in one, I'm going to sue the commissioner for taking up my money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're still doing that today because uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your foundation because you're still giving back just like that heart that you had to, to be able to give kids baseballs back when you played or sign autographs for the fans. You're still giving back today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about – tell us the name uh, of your foundation uh, and what you're doing it's, down in Dominican. It's Rico Cardi Foundation. Sometime I go out to give speech – uh, to the young kids and tell them things that really they have to hear. For instance, steroid and all that stuff. They don't have to use that to play baseball. I never lift weights in my life. And you can look at me. Look at my hand. If I ever lift weights, I wouldn't like look like that. If I use steroid, greeny, I wouldn't look like where I look today. And you know, I'm 79 years old, and that lady that bring me to the ballpark, said, mm -hmm. I told her, I said, you, you, I'm 70, she said, what? Uh-uh. Yeah, you don't look it. I said, hey, <laughs> you no. Know, oh, you look like you're 50 or 55. I said, no, I'm 79 years old. He said, God bless you. It's the way you take life, too. See? You can do everything in life, but you have to know how to do it. Things goes by so far sometime that you look at these kids of today and say, what are they doing 
like a hitter. I like Freeman as a hitter. He wait and react. That's the way you hit. But the majority of the hitters, they, get, they start swinging before the ball get there. <laughs> so if the ball is around the, the strike zone, they will hit it. Once it's through a slider, you can see that bat is way out there. There's not even seen the ball. And I'll tell you, Trout from, from the Angels. Angels, he is a good hitter. Mm -hmm. He wait. Okay? Albert Pujol, he's a great hit, but sometimes he looks so. And it's the truth, he looked bad in the home plate. You know, after you got 10 years, eight, you have to know the strike zone. You shouldn't look like that. Sammy Sosa was the same way. But Albert Pujol is a lot better hitter than all of them of his experience. And that's why I criticize him and say he shouldn't look like that. When, you know, in, in two strikes or nothing. Because he already known the strike zone. And that's your strike zone right there. What you going to go out there looking for? You know? But that's part of baseball. But the young players of today. I'll tell you one thing about Rico Cardi. I couldn't swing at the first pitch. And the pitchers knows it. And they come right down the middle of the plate. The manager, Orlando Cepeda, Hanky, and everybody will holler to me, Rico, <laughs> swing at that pitch because you're not going to get anything else. I couldn't. When I'm in the hole, I'm a better hitter. Mm. In 2-0, I couldn't swing at a pitch. I got to get a strike to be a hitter. 3-0, I couldn't. Every hitter want to be on top of the pitcher. Mm. Every hitter, I could not. And that's why you see most of my fellow men around me say, Rico, you are the best right-hand hitter I've ever seen. Because nobody in earth in 2-0 will wait for strikes. And they know it. And they'll come right down the middle of the plate. But I couldn't swing. If I swing, I'm an out. Hmm. Well, after I got that strike, now I'm a hitter. See? But the majority of the great hitters they like to get on top of the pitcher 2-0, 3-0. That's when they hit the long ball. I couldn't. Hmm. Now, when I get to strike, <laughs> I don't care who you Gibson, Marichal, Drysdale, Kufak, <laughs> Tom Seaver, <laughs> Nolan, Ryan, you know, Jim Palmer, every one of them. I'll give them that strike. And I go from there on. And if this your day, I'm going to let you get me into strike. Because when I get to strike, you in trouble, not me. Today, the majority of the hitters, when they get to strike, they're in trouble. And I was the other way around. When I get to strike, that's when I was dangerous. Right. Mm -hmm. Who who do you think was the, the best pitcher that, that you ever faced? <laughs> All of them. All of them? <laughs> oh, man. He gave some Marichal, Drysdale, Gaylord Perry, Kufak, Maloney. Tom Seaver, Ferguson, Jenkins, they all in the big, Sutton, they all in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. But look who was getting me out any time he picked me, Jim O'Toole. Really? Hmm. With Cincinnati. <laughs> What's going on? I, said, I don't know. <laughs> and Some every guys. time Some I see a like left-hand pitcher coming in, yeah. I said, where the hell is he going? 
And Hank Aaron and, and Orlando will laugh. He said, what do you mean? I said, hey, man, what the hell are they bringing the left-hand pitcher here for? <laughs> I know I was in trouble then, you yeah. know. Was it change-ups? Was it sinkers? What, what, what I was don't it? know. but I, I Whatever was, they threw? <laughs> yeah, whatever they threw. I don't Slider, get, curve? It, it, right down the middle, and I couldn't hit it. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. Good thing there weren't too many of those. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> right. They won't come from the right-hand side. <laughs> oh, but, my um, that's, that's the name of the game. But what I'll say today, that the young players, they need people to talk to them and let them get in the mind that steroid is don't make them a hitter. And the long run, it's going to harm them. Throughout the life, they have a wife, they have kids, and when you can't do your job, somebody is going to do your job, and that is the truth. And steroid it mess messed you up. The doctor says it, and it's the truth. And that's what I want you know. For instance, I came back uh, a week ago because no, I came yeah a week ago to bury my older son, Rico Jr. He was a ball player. He signed three times. I know he wasn't going to be anything great because he was that time by these flashes and he always wanted new spikes, new gloves. I said, hey, you don't do that. I'm your, I'm your daddy, okay, I'll get it for you. But I play with my gloves for three years and every week you want a new spike, Every one of the new gloves, you're not going to be no player. And the people used to say to me, why you say that? I'm telling you all the truth. He is a pretty boy. And that's all it is. Hmm. And I would like to see the autopsy to see if he was using that. Because hmm. the way he died, see, he was playing that day. And I think you they strike him out. He went back to the dugout, sit down, and just faint away. Hmm. He never, and the, the big thing was it, it was on my birthday, the 1st of September. That was my, my present of my birthday, the death of my oldest son. Hmm. But coming back to Rico Cardi Foundation, like I told you when you called me to the, from the Dominican Republic to the Dominican Republic, I said, Greg, I need your help. You see, um, it has few organizations that send me clothes, spikes, gloves. They send me money. But it's, the, the, the tongue is so poor and all that is wrong. They will bring prescription to you. So they'll buy medicine and so forth, and that's what I do. The little that I get, I give it to the people. You go right now to San Pedro de Macorís, and you can send anybody in there and ask about Rico Cardi Foundation. Nobody's going to tell you what I'm telling you. It's the honest person that get everything and give everything away. Mm. And even give what he got, and it's the truth. That's great. And that's the God-living truth. And I'm asking you all, the brave that I played here was loved by the fans, and I know 
If we reach out to the fans, they're going to help Rico Cardi Foundation. And it's make me feel good. Because when I was playing, I take shoes, clothes, you know, like one time, and this is the truth, I went downtown here to Freeman. And I, I look, I was going to the bank. I look across and I saw two shoes, Cobra and Alligator. And I said, gee, those are beautiful. I walk in with my best friend and I asked the man, I said, hey, you got more of those shoes? He said, I got all color. And I told him, okay, well, just show me. And once he keeps showing me, I say, okay, I like it. I like it. Gave a, and it was almost from that place right there, come around, and I'm in the middle. And he's taking on shoes and pants. Yeah, I love them. When he got to about 31, I was in the middle. He says, ain't no way I can put no more shoes. <laughs> what are you doing? He didn't know I was Rico Cardi. Okay? You're going to see what's going to happen now. I said, how much shoes you got? He said, man, it's 31 shoes for you to buy one pair of shoes. You buy like a lady. I said, hey, slow down. I want those shoes. He said, what? I said, I love every one of them that is there. 31 pair of shoes. He didn't know what to do. He says it like he says after what he said, man. This black man coming in and just picking up shoes like a crazy. <laughs> so I told him I want every one of them. I took out my my checking account. I said, okay, how much it cost? He said, sixteen hundred. Take out my check. Sixteen hundred, Rico Cardi. When that man saw my name, he said, wait a minute. You are my ball player and my family's ball player. And he called up all his family. His daddy came over and said, hey, give him all of those shoes that is there. And he gave you a check, you can tear it up. His father took the check, tear it up. And I said to the fellow there, he was running, I said, hey, I can't do that. No, I got to pay you something. He says, uh, how about a hundred? I said, no, it's too much shoes for a hundred dollars. So my friend that is walking with me, my best friend, he says, Rico, give them three hundred dollars. They want to give you the shoes. I said, okay, I'll give them six hundred. I wrote out the check for six hundred dollars and he didn't want that six hundred dollars. So here I am, I'm living at Payton Place. I said, you gonna take my shoes over there? It's a black section. He said, I'll take it any way you tell me. <laughs> at about five o'clock, he said, Rico, are you at home? I said, no, my family is home. You can take it there. And he took the 31 pair of shoes there. But then people went berserk. I think it was one, 20 of his family came in, in maybe a second. I don't know where they live, <laughs> but they was there and they was, saying, man, give me an autograph. I, Rico, yours, yours my player. You know, it make mm. me feel good. Yeah, you know? that's great. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you being here today. We're about out of time. And um, 
those are great stories. We don't we don't get to hear uh, enough of those, but uh, we certainly um, we'll get information about your your foundation and and if there's some some of our fans that want to help contribute, uh, if we can do I something with the organization, I'll definitely that. pass it along. We'd love to help, and it sounds like you're doing great things. I know there. that. I know that's why I reach out to you all because I know the American people. They love to help. The Red Cross is there and so forth. And I know, I know you are going to help Rico Cardi Foundation. But before you all do that, you all can send down behind my back and ask in San Pedro about Rico Cardi Foundation. And they will tell you, you wouldn't hear one word bad against Rico Cardi Foundation. All you're going to hear is good things. We're going to get you to lunch. And, uh, again, appreciate it, Ricky. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I could sit here and listen to you tell stories <laughs> all day. And I do know one thing that I'm sure of after fans hear this. I know that they're going to check out the Rico, Rico Cardi Foundation and help Thank out you. any yeah. way they Thank can. Thank you very so, much. Right. And uh, I know that's why I asked Greg. I said, Greg, will you present me to the fans? It's been so long. Mm. But all these fans that is out there, these young. Yeah, we got a whole but, new group of fans. Mm-hmm. But the father, the uncles, the ants, the all knows who is was Rico Cardi, in ball players too because most of the ball players love me. You see, it's only a couple. Like fans, you know, through '64, through '70, the ball players and the manager used to pick for the All Star, and that's why they never picked me. And until the right that year of 1970. They fans them. They give it to the fans. The fans are writing, and from then on, the fans oh, start writing on. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know sense. who was the three outfielders that year? Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Enrico Cardi over Roberto Clemente. <laughs> Listen careful. Roberto Clemente was the fourth outfielder. Now you wow. know how great I was, and that I was telling you how in the world. In that wall, you can put up Ramirez, Ralph Ramirez, with the big guns them should be. I should be <laughs> close to Hank Aaron. <laughs> well, I, t- I told you we just spread them out. And, and not Ramirez. No we have a bunch of different alumni. <laughs> you know who is Ramirez? <laughs> yeah. You take the big guns and put the big guns yeah. them together. Now we got to spread it out. We don't want anybody <laughs> to sit in one spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we spread it out. All right, Rico. We Thank appreciate you, you buddy. Mike. All right, Thank man. So it much, was Rico. nice talking to you. you too, nice buddy. meeting you. Yeah, great to meet you too. And uh, Rick and Greg. Thank you all very much for this moment. Thank you so much, Rico. And uh, it's, you know, it's sad. Uh, it's very sad to know that my son is gone. But that's part of life. Mm-hmm. And I have to accept it. We're down deep, you know. You cannot forget it. But I ask God that I'm not mad with him. It's happened. I have to accept it. And I hope that every person that is out there that is listening to me will take that same attitude. We cannot be offended but by God works. And thank you all very much. And the fans, them, thank them for accepting me and loving me as a ball player and a human being. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.
Our thanks again to uh, Braves legend Rico Cardi for joining us here. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. I'm, I'm betting that you did. Uh, Greg, so as we're sitting here and, and taping this, uh, big news in Braves country yesterday with Ronald Acuna Jr. winning the National League Rookie of the Year Award, as he uh, deserved to, in my humble opinion. And then as we're sitting here, I w- you know, I wish we could uh, – which we could fast forward in time a little bit here. By the time this comes out tomorrow, we'll know. But we we both think that uh, Snit should be should be the winner of the Manager of the Year, and I don't mean that as any disrespect to to Craig Council with the Brewers. If he won, I I would understand because they had a great year. But I, I still think that Snit and everything that he did was the the most deserving candidate uh, or the most deserving uh, winner of that award. Uh, but let Acuna, talk about Acuna. I mean, there wasn't any doubt in my mind. Juan Soto had a great year. Walker Bueller, great mm-hmm. year. But to me, what, what Acuna did, he was the clear choice for that award. Sure, and we're biased, and we should be. Absolutely. And I have no problem saying that, right? We were all about the Braves. What I saw Acuna do, leading the team, set the record for uh, – or he led the team in home runs. You know, he obviously set a record for rookie home runs and – and um, the way he stepped in and batted leadoff and had the, obviously had the big grand slam. I was listening a little bit on MLB.com this morning as I was driving in and on satellite, and they uh, they were talking about the popular, you know, Acuna became the popular vote because of what he did. He He did a lot of things in kind of grand style, grand fashion. He hit the grand slam during the playoffs. He – he had eight was eight games in a row where he hit a home run. Well, he was going for that. He's going sure for that I, record. Yeah. Then he gets hit, mm-hmm. you know, and that that whole that whole uh, ordeal w- between the, uh, us and the Marlins. So I think that became that got some national spotlight, and um, and so that helped kind of stick me up. But he he won, and um, I mean it was almost a landslide. Yeah. So it wasn't really e- even close. I think it's the right decision. I don't think anybody can argue. Um, him doing that, and we hope the same for Snit. We believe that Snit deserves it. We love what he did. He brought this team from a sub 500 team to all of a sudden they win the division, and um, so in my mind, he he's going to win it. But you know, you never know. Yeah, I think there's so many, as is the case with any winning team or successful team, you can look at. There's so many people played a part in it, but. If there, if you have to pick out a couple for individual awards for what they did, I think you, you'd be hard pressed to find a better pair than uh, than Acuna and Snit in this case with this particular team. I mean, the second half Acuna moves to leadoff, and again, there are a whole lot of contributors here. So I don't want to say the well he put them on his back or whatever, but I'm telling you, he him moving that leadoff spot with more than anything was sure. probably the biggest move that was made, and that move was made by Snit, who that's right, you know. Well, and then also. The way he finished the season, his second half was outstanding. Was I mean, he got better as the season went on. Of course, he you know he, he came in and you know took him a couple weeks to get uh, adjusted, and then he does get hurt, and then coming back. A lot of times you see guys in in a season that maybe they get into a groove and then they get hurt, and then that groove goes away because it changes your mind, change your mindset, it changes. The rhythm that you're in, all of a sudden, you may may be dealing with an injury the rest of the year, even though you're come back and you're off the DL. Now you come back, you kind of your rhythms off, your your routines off. Now you're dealing with rehabbing to some degree or getting treatment 
every day. So it just changes things for him to get back. And then all of a sudden he just, he got better and better and better. So the way he, he continued to um, do that throughout the season, in my mind, that, that was, that was pretty special. How often is it because we, especially diehard baseball folks, you know, we're all always following the prospects and, you know, the next big thing and these prospects get hyped up so much and they always have, but especially nowadays. Sure. I mean, it's really, really, the attention on the, the prospects is probably greater now than I think it ever has been before, just at least in my opinion. So it never happens hardly that a, that a prospect can live up to that hype. And that's mm-hmm. not because of their performance. It's just because we overhype them so much that it's just it's impossible for people yeah. to live up to that. Mm-hmm. I would argue Acuna not only lived up to it, I think he surpassed the hype. And the hype was there. I mean, he was number one or number two in most publications coming into the season as far as prospect rankings. I don't think any of us could have seen what he did, particularly in the second half coming. As good as we thought, or maybe even knew he was going to be, I, it, I I just remember being in disbelief almost at times. Like when he was in that home run streak and the, the leadoff one in particular, whatever whichever game it was, you know, he comes up to the plate and my colleague that sits to the left of me in the press box, uh, which he and I kind of were chit-chatting through most every game anyways and, and you know, having good conversation – Acuna's strolling up to the plate, and I just kind of leaned over and said, you think he's going to do it again? He's like, uh, I don't know, lead off again? I don't know. First pitch, boom. And as the ball's in the air going out, I kind of just playfully like smacked him in the arm. I was like, he just did it. He just did it again. <laughs> I was like, and, and we're just looking at each other going, this is unbelievable. The, the, we, he can't be doing this. This is unreal. And that's just how I felt watching him, particularly in the second half. It was just Again, he not only lived up to the hype, he surpassed it, and, and I think that's a big part of the reason why uh, why he won yesterday and why, why he was the deserving winner. So, Well, yeah. I, I, think that's a, I think that's a good point. And the last person I remember living up to the hype was Bryce Harper. I mean, think about all the hype that was around him. The person that didn't live up to the hype was also a Washington National, and that was Steven Strasburg. I think that he was kind of a victim of – there's no way he can live up to becoming the next Nolan Ryan or the next Sandy Koufax. And remember, he was throwing 100 miles an hour. He comes up, and he was highly touted. But and, and not that he has a, he's done poorly. He's just been a little inconsistent. He's had some injuries. And But if you look at Bryce Harper, I think he's the one that came into the league with a lot of hype, and he's he's delivered. Yeah, I think – and to be fair, by the way, uh, on, the, on the other side for the American League winner, uh, Otani – uh, the hype surrounding him was pretty That's right. big, and I would say that he uh, he did something nobody's done since well, Babe Ruth. Yeah, know? he lived up to two hypes. I yeah. mean, this pitching hype and his hitting hype, and he he definitely he won. He made me a believer on that. I was I was really a little skeptical on like, okay, there's no way he can be that good in both of these things. I was very skeptical. I'll be honest with you. I was like, there's no way. I was like, he's this is gonna this experiment's gonna last for a little bit, but if, yeah, if they'll, they're gonna move him one or the other. It's gonna and yeah. it's gonna happen relatively. Yeah, quickly. it'll it'll force him into to. Being either a pitcher or a hitter. Yeah, but he he did it. He made it work. And yeah. I don't you know I don't know the the injury stuff with him. I haven't followed it that closely. But I, I regardless, I think he's going to sure. be around a long time. And just the fact that he did it one year. Now long term, your your body can only withstand so many pitches and so many swings. And to do them both together, maybe shorten his career. But uh, but it's just interesting that he even did it for you know for one year. I'll be honest. I like I said I was very skeptical. I love it when players like that. Like I love being proven wrong about that mm-hmm. stuff. I love seeing a guy come in and do something like that that I haven't seen before. I mean, see, 
this year, these two, I mean, these two Rookie of the Year winners were outstanding in every, in every sense of the word. So it was – Yeah, was, and, and we've had some great uh, Rookies of the Year over the years. Yeah. You think about Bob Horner and Raphael Furcal and um, Craig Kimbrell. Right. So we've got a, a good history of that. And um, I'm excited to add Ronald Cunha to that list. And as one of our – he's going to be one of our alumni here that hopefully we'll see him at the ballpark after a long, stellar career. I think we will. I hope we will. And hopefully we're going to add Snit's name to the, the awards list also. But, well, hey, we're not going to be here next week because it's Thanksgiving week. And, you know, we're going to be with our families. And I'm sure all of you out there, hopefully you're going to enjoy some time with your family or friends or, or whatever you want to do uh, during the, the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, after the after the holiday, we're we're working on. We we're pretty sure we know who our next guest is going to be after the break, and we're not going to I'm not going to tell you who it is. But we're both really <laughs> excited about that. And then right after that, it's 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 winter meetings time in Vegas, and we're going to be there. And I know we already have at least one guest lined up for that. That again, I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> but we are extremely excited about that and the the possibilities of other guests at the winter meetings. So. I'm excited, man. We've got Thanksgiving, and then uh, we're going to have some exciting shows after the break. Yeah, Las Vegas in the wintertime. I think the weather's going to be in the 60s, so it'll be a little bit better than what's going on here. But uh, have you been to Vegas before? I have not. Oh, this wow. Okay. I take well, I, I played minor league ball there. Did you? Yeah, best thing about Vegas at the time was that I could eat a steak, eggs, and a milkshake for $1.99 after midnight. So after the game, <laughs> I wouldn't eat, and I'd wait till 12.01. I'd go into the casino and I would just pig out. Uh, please tell me that <laughs> they still have that deal. No, they don't have that deal anymore. Not that I'm aware of, but I, it, we can try to find it. I'm going Trust me, I well, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make any bold predictions here, but I have a feeling I will be in search of a meal after midnight at some point <laughs> while I'm out there. So I'm gonna. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be exist, broke. We'll <laughs> be broke while you're doing it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I need that 199 <laughs> special. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It may not exist, but I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna look for it. The gambler Either. special. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for, for checking us out here on Behind the Braves. If you haven't already done so, please rate, review, subscribe uh, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, your your feedback is not only appreciated, but it is noticed. We see everything. We see all the comments, the tweets, the, the Facebook comments, Instagram story. Make it part of your Instagram story. Let people know you're listening. Uh, however you want to help, we, we definitely, we very much appreciate it. And, and uh, just spread the word. Tell a friend or two, if you'd like, about Behind the Braves. All right, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? Bow. 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.